Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, can Nikki Haley bring her campaign back to life? Any minute now, the candidate will take the stage in South Carolina for what her campaign is billing as a major speech. We expect her to make the case for while she'll stay in the race, even if she loses her home state. Plus, contrasting the crazy. New CNN reporting reveals the president's orders to his senior most campaign staff ramp up how much they're spotlighting the, quote, crazy, let's say, stuff that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. And Bill Bradley, former Democratic senator, NBA star, he hasn't run a campaign since the year 2000, and he is younger than Joe Biden. Does that matter? Should it matter to voters? I'll talk to him about that and more in minutes. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, Nikki Haley says she can still write her own story. The former ambassador and South Carolina governor will take the stage shortly in her home state, which holds its pivotal primary in just four days. Her task is to convince donors and voters she still has a path to victory. That's a scenario that seems more and more unlikely by the day. CNN's Kylie Atwood is covering the Haley campaign for us and is in South Carolina. Kylie. Well, listen, what we've heard from Nikki Haley over the last few days is her continuing to beat this drum of determination on the campaign trail, even though we've seen many polls, including a poll out today that show her behind former President Trump here in her home state of South Carolina by 30, 35 points. She is continuing to say that she is in this, that she's not going anywhere. She's also not casting the results of South Carolina primary as a life or death for her campaign. She has said that it is important for her to do well. She has encouraged South Carolinians to get out and vote for her on Saturday. But in the same breath, she has been telling voters here in South Carolina that she's heading to Michigan the next day, that she's going to compete in those Super Tuesday states. Really a defiant Nikki Haley that we have seen over the course of the last few days as she is preparing to deliver this speech on what her campaign says is the state of the race. Now, as she is going to do this, former President Trump's campaign is out with a campaign memo today uh, trying to, oh, it looks like Nikki Haley is going to be coming on in just a second here, but trying to undercut her message. What they are saying is that her campaign is effectively over. They are laying out the delegate math 
for how former President Trump is going to clinch the delegates that he needs to win the nomination by March 12th or March 19th. And we're going to listen to what Nikki Haley has to say here, if she'll get into any of that delegate math at all. Okay, thank you so much, Kylie. I hear they're announcing uh, that she is coming on the stage momentarily. As soon as she does get on the stage, we will take her remarks. In the meantime, I want to bring in my panel of reporters. Actually, let's go to her right now. Thank you all for being here. It's another great day in South Carolina, and we're hoping for an even better day on Saturday. Early voting is underway. I have a quick reminder to all South Carolinians. In a general election, you're given a choice. In a primary, you make your choice. Make sure you make the right choice. Make your voices heard today tomorrow, and on Saturday. Some of you, perhaps a few of you in the media, came here today to see if I'm dropping out of the race. Well, I'm not. Far from it, and I'm here to tell you why. I'm running for president because we have a country to save. Since the start of my campaign, I've been focused on the real issues our country faces, the ones that determine whether America will thrive or spiral out. I'm talking about the millions of students who don't know how to read or do basic math, the families who can't afford groceries, much less a first home, the total lawlessness on our southern border, I'm talking about the murders in our cities, the fentanyl on our streets, the children who've been killed in their mom's car by stray bullets. And I'm talking about the American weakness that led to wars in Europe and the Middle East and the urgent need to restore our strength before war spreads and draws America further in. These are the challenges I'm here to tackle. But instead of focusing on how to make America stronger tomorrow, some people want to know if I'm going to cave today. <laughs> We've all heard the calls for me to drop out. We all know where they're coming from. The political elite, the party bosses, the cheerleaders in the commentator world. The argument is familiar. They say I haven't won a state, that my path to victory is slim. They point to the primary polls and say, I'm only delaying the inevitable. Why keep fighting when the battle was apparently over after Iowa? Look, I get it. In politics, the herd mentality is enormously strong. A lot of Republican politicians have surrendered to it. The pressure on them was way too much. They didn't want to be left out of the club. Of course, many of the same politicians who now publicly embrace Trump privately dread him. They know what a disaster he's been and will continue to be for our party. They're just too afraid to say it out loud. Well, I'm not afraid to say the hard truths out loud. I feel no need to kiss the ring. 
I have no fear of Trump's retribution. I'm not... I'm not looking for anything from him. My own political future is of zero concern. So I hear what the political class says, but I hear from the American people, too. I've heard from a retired Army medic who looked evil in the eye when he says we're headed toward disaster, that American lives are on the line. He knows what he's talking about. He knows we can't afford more of the same. That's why he told me to give him hell. I've heard from a mom who promised to email me every day, and she does. She just wants a return to normalcy. She wants me to keep running for the sake of her four-year-old son. She hopes he'll see the, quote, America she grew up in, an America that's strong and proud and united in purpose. And I've heard from a high school student who just last week came to hear me speak. She asked me to sign a note to her teacher explaining her absence. <laughs> After growing up amid the chaos and anger of the last few years, she finally has hope that America will make it if we make the right choice. I'm constantly hearing from Americans like these, hundreds a day, thousands a week, and hundreds of thousands since I declared my candidacy. They see the same polls as me, but more importantly, they have the same belief as me. They believe in America. They believe America can do so much better, that we must do better. And they know when the country's future is on the line, you don't drop out. You keep fighting. In fact, you fight harder than ever. That's why I refuse to quit. South Carolina will vote on Saturday. But on Sunday, I'll still be running for president. I'm not going anywhere. I'm campaigning every day until the last person votes. Because I believe in a better America and a brighter future for our kids. Nothing good in life comes easy. I'm willing to take the cuts, the bruises, and the name-calling, because the only way you get to the blessing is by going through the pain. Dropping out would be the easy route. I've never taken the easy route. I've been the underdog in every race I've ever run. I've always been David taking on Goliath. And like David, I'm not just fighting someone bigger than me. I'm fighting for something bigger than myself. I'm used to people questioning my intentions, so I'll make a few things clear. Some people used to say I was running because I really wanted to be vice president. I think I've pretty well settled that question. Other people say I'm trying to set up a future presidential run. How does that even work? 
If I was running for a bogus reason, I would have dropped out a long time ago. The rest of the fellas already did that. They have their own plans. I don't judge them. But I'm still here. I'm fighting for what I know is right. And I don't care what the party leaders and political elites want. I'll keep fighting until the American people close the door. That day is not today. And it won't be on Saturday. Not by a long shot. The presidential primaries have barely begun. Just three states have voted. Three. That's it. After this weekend, we'll be at four. That's not a lot. In the 10 days after South Carolina, another 21 states and territories will vote. People have a right to have their voices heard. And they deserve a real choice, not a Soviet-style election where there's only one candidate and he gets 99% of the vote. We don't anoint kings in this country. We have elections. And Donald Trump, of all people, should know we don't rig elections. Yeah. <laughs> Americans of every belief and background are tired of our national mess. They don't want more chaos and craziness. They worry about a national collapse. If I weren't in the race, we'd be reading the exact same storyline every day until November 5th. There would be widespread reports of Americans suffering from a bad case of Biden-Trump fatigue. And it would be true. A stunning 70% of the country doesn't want a Biden-Trump rematch. The majority of Americans don't just dislike one candidate. They dislike both. As a country, we've never seen such dissatisfaction with the leading candidates. We've never had so many Americans mired in pessimism and division. We still have a chance to restore their faith. I will fight as long as that chance exists. Now, I know what Donald Trump is saying. He wants an election with no opponent. But that's not what the voters are saying. Despite being a de facto incumbent, Donald Trump lost 49% of the vote in Iowa. In New Hampshire, Trump lost 46% of the vote. That's not good. We're talking okay, about we've been listening to Nikki Haley, Republican presidential candidate, giving what her campaign dubbed as a major speech in her home state of South Carolina, a state that is going to the polls for uh, an important primary in just four days on Saturday. Uh, so the uh, intro to the speech was about how she's not dropping out. And first of all, I just want to bring in our panel of reporters, <laughs> Ania Malika Henderson of Bloomberg and CNN, Laura Barone-Lopez of the PBS NewsHour, and NPR's Aisha Roscoe. So back to wrapping up uh, the, the gist of her, her speech, which was, um, I refuse to quit. I'm not dropping out. And of course, um, the sort of predictable, the media is, it says I should drop out, which I, I just want to lay the, the groundwork here for our conversation, which is that um, going into the speech, 
I don't think anybody thought she was going to drop out. She and her campaign made extremely clear that she was going to stay in, at least through South Carolina and even beyond, as she reiterated in this speech. Uh, but there clearly is a reason why she gave this speech today. Uh, she wants to kind of reframe the discussion, reframe the narrative around her campaign for it not to be the fact that she is so far behind Donald Trump and she wants to sort of get other headlines out there. She also wants to continue to raise money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think a big audience for this speech is uh, the donor class, which so far, given where she is, um, you know, and the fact that she doesn't have that many delegates, that she doesn't have a lot of um, hope for beating Donald Trump, the fact that she still is able to raise, raise any money says a lot about uh, some of the concern about Donald Trump, as small as it is, particularly in the donor class. Uh, Nia, what are your thoughts, especially as a South Carolina yeah, native? Yeah, listen, <laughs> um, you know, she wanted attention today and she got it. And, and, you know, the donors will be listening and maybe they'll give her a little more runway to continue this thing. Nikki Haley was there saying she likes hard truths. Well, one hard truth is her path to uh, defeating Donald Trump is incredibly difficult. She sort of uh, makes it seem like she has a beef with uh, the GOP elite and political and the political press. The beef should be with the voters, right, who aren't really buying her message uh, at this point. I mean, in South Carolina, she is going to lose by a landslide. She was a two-term governor there, fairly popular uh, on the way out, but people aren't just, people aren't, aren't liking her. They like Donald Trump uh, much better. And so, listen, I think she lives to see another day. It's sort of a pre-buttle to her uh, defeat in South Carolina. But again, it just seems uh, like a another day of this campaign that'll end at some point. Well, when I, I, you know, I mentioned the fact that uh, this was a speech saying that I'm not dropping out. Nobody necessarily thought she would drop out in recent days and weeks. Rewind to Iowa and New Hampshire, particularly after New Hampshire, there certainly was a question about whether she wanted to face voters in her home state and potentially lose by a landslide, um, the, given the fact that she's young and whether that would hurt her brand long term. Uh, my own political future is of zero concern. That was a notable line <laughs> yes. that helps answer. I mean, in an untruth take, too. Yeah, right? Take it, take it for what it for what it is. But she was attempting to answer that question with that line. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that all of us can agree that she definitely has ambitions beyond this presidential election cycle. I mean, she's likely looking to 2028 and establishing herself as someone who didn't kiss the ring necessarily. Although I thought that that was a funny line considering that, you know, recently she still said, even though she's been going after the former president more aggressively lately, uh, she still said that she would pardon him if she were elected president. And I'm not sure if she's answered more recently uh, whether or not she would vote for him still or support him she, as an nominee. She did. She said that she, I tried right. to ask her last which week is, and she didn't answer, but she did say even if he's a convicted criminal, she would still support him. Which is astonishing if yeah. he's a convicted criminal, but it's also just striking considering that she's attempting to make this argument to voters that he is not fit the presidency. She has called him unhinged. She has said that he is willing to hand over, you know, NATO territories to Russia uh, and establish herself as not an isolationist in the Republican Party and that he represents a threat, but then still says she'd be willing to vote for him. So I think that that's making it harder for her 
to establish this lane where she can win over a lot of voters. So let's just kind of look ahead. She mentioned that only three states have voted. That is true. Uh, the fourth will be uh, will be this weekend, her home state of South Carolina. Let's look at Super Tuesday, which is the big pot of delegates, the biggest pot of delegates by far. Um, we're just going to look at the 384 delegates that will be awarded winner take all. So 50 percent of um, of the states that are voting on Super Tuesday uh, uh, will be that's March 5th will be winner take all, mm -hmm. meaning if she loses and presumably she won't win Alabama, you know, a lot of these states, maybe even most of these states, she gets no delegates. Yeah. She will get some if she wins just some percentages in other states. But this is a huge number of delegates, 384, when you're looking at the total uh, that a Republican needs to get the nomination, which is 1,215. Yeah. I mean, I... I think that, you know, what, what stood out to me about what she was saying today is she was saying that she hasn't given in to the herd mentality. But when I think about democracy and when I think about voters, isn't it the herd that wins, right? Like, so it's like, well, how is this going to work? And when I look at, you know, when you, she does have some donors, I guess the Coke group, Americans for Prosperity, they are doing some spending in the, um, you know, the Super Tuesday states. But there's never like really a plan to show what state is she going to win? Like, how is this going to work? It seems like what is keeping her afloat is there are donors who are willing yes. to give who really don't expect much of a return on the investment. No. Well, and on that note, let's just look at South Carolina ad spending. Uh, so far, this it, the pro Haley spending, fourteen point eight million dollars. Pro Trump, one point three million. I mean, wow, that's that's a lot of money, mm -hmm. particularly in South Carolina, wow. which is not like a hugely expensive uh, place to buy ads. But just look at the difference. 14 to, I mean, yeah, 14 to 1 million. Listen, as much as she likes to say she's not a creature of the elites, she is a creature of the elites. Of the elites. I mean, they are the ones who are keeping this afloat. There is no real groundswell of support for her even in her own state of South Carolina, right? Before New Hampshire, I was talking to some folks on the ground there, they thought maybe she could get 45, 47% if she did well in New Hampshire. She didn't do that well in New Hampshire. And so it looks like she's gonna go there and, and really kind of have an embarrassing defeat. She doesn't think it's embarrassing. I think it goes to the fact that if you can't win in South Carolina, what other states can you win? We're gonna take a quick break, but I wanna just get a, one other point that she made, which is, that uh, America doesn't want the Trump-Biden rematch. And that's another reason why she's staying in the race. A as I heard her say that, I was wondering, because she doesn't look like she's going to gobble up that many mm -hmm. delegates, yeah. isn't that conversation happening about Trump versus Biden, whether she's in or not? Yeah, it is. I mean, voters I talk to um, are talking about those two candidates. And Democrats are focused on President Biden, you know, not really anticipating any shakeup there. And I think more and more voters are starting to realize that Trump has the nomination sewn up. Yeah. And even though she says she's going to campaign until the last person votes, that's like the spring. <laughs> OK, up next, new CNN reporting on direct orders from the president of the United States to his campaign. The bottom line, let Trump be Trump and then make sure voters know all about it. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. President Biden is ordering his campaign to get far more aggressive when it comes to his likely opponent. New reporting from CNN's MJ Lee is that Biden personally instructed his top campaign aides recently to spend even more time painting Trump as unhinged and calling out his inflammatory rhetoric. Two sources tell MJ that the thrust of Biden's instruction was to significantly ramp up the campaign's efforts to highlight the crazy S <laughs> that that Trump says in public. CNN's MJ Lee is at the White House. I guess I can say the S word, but Maybe too early on the West Coast, at least. <laughs> MJ? Yeah, Dana, you know, I think this reporting gives us some interesting insight into how the president himself uh, personally views his campaign strategy. What I was told by sources is, as you said, uh, President Biden instructing personally some of his top campaign aides to essentially be even more aggressive in highlighting uh, some of Trump's most inflammatory and wild comments. You know, it's not a secret at all, obviously, that the Biden campaign believes it is critical uh, to draw these black and white contrasts between between Biden and Trump as they see it uh, when it comes to even their temperament, their worldviews, uh, their policies. Uh, but as the Biden campaign uh, makes this full pivot to the general election, it's clear that Biden himself believes that it is critical to paint uh, the former president as being unhinged and simply unfit uh, for office. And I think we've seen the Biden campaign and the president himself uh, take those opportunities more aggressively in recent weeks uh, when it comes to, uh, for example, going after the former former president's comments about NATO or going after his uh, mocking of Nikki Haley's husband, who is currently serving abroad. And when I reached out to the campaign for comment for this story, this is a part of what the campaign's uh, rapid response director said in a statement to us. Uh, he said Donald Trump is the polar opposite of everything President Biden stands for and has accomplished since he took office. And the campaign's top priority over the next nine months will be laying out that stark choice for voters. Uh, one bit of context, Anna, that I do think is important is that Biden campaign advisors uh, have been concerned that so many voters seem to have sort of forgotten about some of the moments from the Trump presidency that they see as sort of outrageous and unacceptable. Uh, this is sort of the rose-colored glasses effect that they are concerned about, and they are determined to try to fix that uh, heading into November by highlighting all of these examples. Forgotten or maybe um, become numb to 
Uh, thank mm -hmm. you so much, MJ. Great reporting. Appreciate it. My panel is back here. And let's just use one example of the execution, it looks like, of uh, what the president told his team to do. Just yesterday, <clears throat> the Biden campaign Twitter account said, after days of silence, Trump finally responds to Alexei Navalny's death by comparing Navalny himself in deranged to himself in a deranged social media post. Yeah, every chance that they have, they are going to try to show that contrast. And they have, you know, this is something that they did during his run in 2020. I mean, he launched his campaign about Trump's comments and response to the neo-Nazi march in Charlottesville. So it was about striking that contrast repeatedly about the direction of the country. And the President Biden has more material to work with now because President Trump, along with allies, have been laying out a blueprint, Project 2025, for what they would necessarily uh, try to walk in doing on day one. I mean, the f former President Trump has said he would be a dictator just on day one. He has uh, floated the idea of using the Insurrection Act to use military in uh, U.S. cities mm -hmm. to cra uh, crack down on protests, to also round up undocumented migrants. So there's a lot of material for former President Biden to work with that, that his campaign thinks a lot of voters aren't really aware of just yet. And, and let's listen to another example. This is Mitch Landrieu, who worked in the Biden administration and now is the Biden campaign co-chair. I understand that the, the, the concern about the polls, you see this actually for both candidates, but essentially as this campaign heats up, you're going to have to make a choice between two very, very different people. Donald Trump wakes up every day thinking about himself. He thinks about oppression. He thinks about revenge. He thinks about how to hurt other people. He thinks about how to get back at them. He thinks about how to do things that helps himself. Joe Biden wakes up every day thinking about how to fight for the American people. You know, the thing about this can, uh, this campaign and what will likely be the, the matchup between Biden and Trump is that they are both deeply unpopular. Like, voters do not like either of them a lot. And so for Biden, if he can make the focus on Trump and make it a referendum on Trump, that is much better on him because... The voters really aren't liking Biden all that much. So if he can make it about all the things that Trump says, all the wild things that he says, and try to remind people of, of that chaos that Nikki Haley is often talking about, he thinks that will work in his favor. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, the unsaid uh, part of this strategy to keep pushing out the bad things uh, or the controversial things that Donald Trump says is even if you don't love Joe Biden, yeah. if you are worried about Donald Trump, not unlike 2020, right. yeah. vote, in, vote to protest Donald Trump, meaning vote for Joe Biden. And you know what? Biden and his campaign, they've got a lot of money. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of questions about whether or not they would do okay on the fundraising front. And the answer is they have. They have uh, $42 million that was raised just in January, $130 million uh, cash on hand. That's, I believe, the combined uh, for the campaign and the party. Yeah, and these are a lot of small dollar donors, right? I mean, it gives a different uh, image of this campaign because people like to say, oh, well, people aren't really engaged or energized uh, around this campaign. Well, uh, you know, to the tune of 42 million, there are obviously some people who want to give to this campaign. I think this message around Donald Trump and sort of highlighting the crazy part of Donald Trump, it really works with those Trump to Biden voters, right? They are very much invested in the idea that they have turned 
turned away from Donald Trump. They almost see it as part of their identity. And so highlighting the crazy things about Donald Trump really, I think, reinforces uh, the stickiness factor that Biden has with some of those crucial voters. You know, you mentioned the Trump to Biden voters. Those are really critical voters. We, of course, are talking about people who voted for Trump in 2016, voted for Donald for Joe Biden in 2020 because they were disappointed with Donald Trump. Uh, Richard Tao, who is uh, somebody who we use all the time Mm -hmm. to show the focus groups that he does in swing states, uh, he went to Michigan and talked to those exact voters, Trump to Biden voters. And one of the things that he found uh, was that some of these voters were when, when they heard clips from the president, from President Biden, full clips, uh, they were surprised at how cogent <laughs> and coherent he sounded. Listen to one example. He doesn't necessarily seem like he's like not mentally there. So, yeah, I'm kind of conflicted. Meaning what? You expect him to be in worse condition? Yeah, as far as the amount... Just thinking of all them reporters and everybody around him, I would think at that point with them hammering him with that many questions, you'd think he would like kind of like mentally break, even with if it was like that advanced of like dementia or anything of that nature. So, again, this was a reaction to uh, the uh, press, a press conference that was yeah. played for these voters. Um I don't know. Maybe the bar isn't that high for, for Biden. And I don't know if this is uh something that the Biden campaign could take to heart, like just get him out there and have him talk. I mean, Biden is a smart guy. I mean, even in this press conference where he was seeming to confuse the presidents of Mexico and Egypt, he gave very detailed, nuanced answers on any number of topics, particularly in the Israel-Gaza conflict. So listen, they hope the State of the Union will go a long way uh, in addressing some of these issues. That's key. Every Democratic strategist I talk to says he just needs to be out there more. He needs to be flooding the zone on all fronts. I mean, tiny clips go viral. I was talking to a Gen Z voter who said that they saw the clips where Biden mixed up foreign leaders. And I asked if they had seen the clips where former President Donald Trump had mixed up foreign leaders. And they said, no, they didn't know he had done that. So mm-hmm. that's a, another part of it, which is whether striking the contrast. That the, it, it's yeah. really interesting because it seems like for Biden, it's the idea is like, get him out there more. Whereas the more that people hear from Trump, you often see the opposite <laughs> where they get turned off and they say, look, you know, I didn't know he was saying all that. So it's interesting that they both seem to have like the opposite problem. Yeah, it is all very interesting. Uh, Up next, Alabama Supreme Court says a frozen embryo is a person, and that could have a huge consequence for women who rely on IVF treatment to have a baby. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. An unprecedented ruling is sparking worries about the future of in vitro fertilization treatment. The Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children, thus protected under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act. No other state has ruled this way, but it puts the future of IVF in jeopardy. 
There's a lot to unpack here. CNN's Diane Gallagher joins us to break it all down. Diane. You know, Dana, that uncertainty, I've been fielding messages from frightened and worried women and families who are undergoing IVF or have undergone IVF, both in Alabama and across the nation today after this seismic ruling from the high court in Alabama. Uh, for those families who are trying to grow their families through IVF technology there. Now, again, there was a lot of uncertainty about what this means, but the state Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos created using in vitro fertilization or IVF are people, and therefore they would be protected under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act. They overturned a lower court ruling in a case that involves couples whose lawsuit says that a patient somehow got into their cryopreservation freezer and dropped their embryos on the ground, thus destroying them. The high court held that the person who dropped those embryos could be held liable in a wrongful death lawsuit. Now, the chief justice, in a concurring majority opinion, quoted the Bible and said these three to five day old frozen embryos are the same as any child, quote, carving out an exception for the people in this case, small as they were, would be unacceptable to the people of this state who have required us to treat every human being in accordance with the fear of a holy God who made him who made them in his image. Now, it was an 8-1 ruling. The lone dissenting justice noted, quote, no court anywhere in the country has reached the conclusion the main opinion reaches and the main opinions holding almost certainly ends the creation of frozen embryos through in vitro fertilization in Alabama. So why does he come to that conclusion? Well, look, fertility advocacy, advocacy groups point out that IVF is already an expensive procedure. At best, this would make an already nearly cost prohibitive procedure more expensive. But at worst, Dana, it undercuts often the root goal of IVF, which is to get as many embryos as possible to give these families a better chance at live births. The Alabama Medical Association argued that this could potentially result in the closure of all five fertility clinics in the state of Alabama. Hmm. Incredibly, incredibly consequential uh, ruling there in Alabama and complicated, of course. Thank you so much for that reporting, Diane. Yeah. My next guest has quite the resume. NBA champion, senator, presidential candidate, prolific author, and now filmmaker. Bill Bradley will be my guest after the break. You might know him as a two-time NBA champion or perhaps an Olympic gold medalist. Maybe you remember his 18 years in the U.S. Senate from the great state of New Jersey. I got to know him covering his presidential race in 2000. There's only one man I could be describing, of course, and that is Bill Bradley, whose impressive career and poignant reflections are featured in the new film, Rolling Along. Here's a preview. I wanted to know America like I once knew the seams of a basketball. I challenged Al Gore for the Democratic nomination. I know it would be tough, but as the button in our campaign said, Bradley, he's hit the long shots before. And Bill Bradley joins me now. Thank you so much for being here. There is a great moment in the film where you talk about being asked, which is a bigger thrill, winning two NBA championships or being elected to the Senate three times? I want our viewers to hear what your answer was. Well, uh, being elected being like the century times, all that did was, it was the greatest honor, but all that did was give me an opportunity to work 14 hours a day for six years to prove that the people weren't wrong in electing me. But standing at center court, your fist raised in the air, 
chills going up and down your spine, a smile frozen on your face, knowing you're the best in the world. Now, that's a thrill. That sounds just like what it's like in the well of the Senate, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, Senator, you were there here in Washington for 18 years, 1979 to 1997. Things relative to now worked pretty well then. You got a lot of bipartisan legislation done. Is it possible to get back to that? Well, I think that uh, the first two years of the Biden administration shows that it is possible to do that. There was bipartisan cooperation on any number of bills, infrastructure being the, the best example of that. Um, so, yes, I do think it's possible to get to a time where people related each other on a level of their common humanity as opposed to the brittleness of party designation. And I think that that's there. It's happening now. I mean, Cory Booker asked me when he went to Senate what he should do. And I said, we make five good Republican friends. He did. Mm -hmm. And there was one point where he had a foster care bill and uh, Senator Imhoff, who he knew had an adopted child, helped him supported him, got Republicans to back him. So, yes, I do think it's yeah. possible. No, no question that infrastructure was kind of the shining uh, light on on bipartisan legislation in the past couple of years. Democrats uh, still ran the uh, the House. I'm thinking more about the, what happened with the immigration bill, where your your guidance, having relationships across party lines, Senator Lankford of Oklahoma, uh, Senator Cinema, uh, and others, that did help to get uh, bipartisan legislation through. And then it got stopped because the uh, the extremes, mostly on the Republican side, stopped it. Um, I, I want to fast forward to your presidential run. I was a, a Cub producer uh, back then, 24 years ago, uh, when you were running. You right now are eight months younger than Joe Biden is right now, which is um, pretty remarkable. He, of course, is 81 years old. When you hear voters and political opponents hitting him on his age, what do you think? I think that we, uh, when we elect the president, uh, we elect somebody to make decisions and get things done. Joe has seen, has shown he could make the, both do both those things, make decisions and get things done. Infrastructure, chips. Uh, next year, seniors won't have to pay more than $2,000 for their medical, for, for drugs because of what he's done. So that's what we have to look at. We have to look at how someone has performed and what they want to do in the future. And the age thing is an issue to the extent that uh, he feels it, that he doesn't feel it. And I believe that uh, we can, uh, I, mean, I believe the people will see that there's a significant choice here. Mm. And the choice between someone who, in my view, is uh, weak and vengeful and someone who is competent and, uh, and, and strong. I remember back in, uh, in 2000, a regular on the trail with you. He was always on the, on the Bradley campaign plane with us. Uh, was Cornell West. He is a good friend of yours uh, still, I believe. But you said you can't figure out his third party presidential run. Are you worried he could be a spoiler a la Ralph Nader in the 2000 general election? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, I don't know what reasons Cornell is running. But I do think that African-Americans, uh, people who are concerned on the left, will come home to Joe Biden 
because he's delivered on the things that are important to them. Uh, before I let you go, I have to ask about more about this film. You had a one-man show. You turned it into this film. Uh, why'd you want to do it? Oh, I think we might have lost Senator Bradley. Okay. Okay, I think we lost Senator Bradley. I'm just, I'm just going to tell everybody that um, you can watch Rolling Along, Bill Bradley, now available on Max, which is owned by CNN's parent company, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. We're going to take a quick break. There you go. You see his, uh, his book there as well. Thank you so much for joining Inside Politics. Sorry about that to the senator. We'll get him back on soon. CNN News Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.